Welcome to episode 442 of Troubadours and Rock on Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. On this week's episode, we have a wonderful conversation with regular contributor, Brooklyn-based singer, songwriter, comedic writer, and comedian, Nash Rose. We talk with her from her place in Brooklyn. We discuss her new podcast titled Mempathy, Feminism from a Different Perspective, Being a Black American, Indigenous, Men Crying, Guys Having Cats, What is Considered Manly, New Orleans, Global Conditioning, Subliminal Conditioning, Civilized versus animalistic. Being an artist and segregation, among other things. A great conversation with Nash Rose this go-round. We have an EW essay titled Gold Rings. We share three short essays by Dan Leach under the title Invitations, published in the October 2021 edition of The Sun magazine, And we have a poem called Night Sky Moon. All of this, of course, will be imbued, infused with the wonderful energy of several great tunes. It is so nice to be with you. Let's get to it. Episode 442 of Troubadours and Rock On Tours.
double nickels this morning. I do my sit-ups, Pilates, Tai Chi, yoga, meditation, prayers. As the garbage men drive by the picture window, and I imagine through their stairs that I am the center of this universe, as well as a skeletal speck of dust in solar wind, I pretend and contend. Try not to self-destruct or get hit by a truck and live like I am too hip and cool to give a f- You know what I'm saying, G. Oh, G. Oh, my papa. My ma gave me one of his fancy night-on-the-town Italian gold rings for my birthday. Double nickels. He is 84, Mama is 81, and still knows how to have fun, despite having the burden of taking care of the old man. He is an immigrant shoemaker from farmer stock in Calabria. My mother, too. Her dad was killed in the coal mines when she was just four more than two years old. Here I am, because of them and many, many more, whose stories are true with verve and the stealth rhythm of haiku, just like it is for me and you, the center of this universe and a speck of plasma and tissue and bone, here right now with y'all, and yet distinctly alone, sitting in a rickety chair, hand in this gray hair, in love like a poem. Hurt him. 
Nash Rose, is that you? It's me. All right. Nash in New York, regular contributor, Brooklyn-based singer, songwriter, comedic writer, and comedian, among other things. So what's what's up? How you been doing? I've been well. How are you? Oh, my gosh. I almost totally forgot. That's usually the way it goes. You're usually so busy that it's like, oh my gosh, who's calling me? Oh yeah, you. <laughs> yeah, I've been so busy. And I saw your text that you sent me, I don't remember when, but I was replying and something else popped up. But I've been busy in a very good way. How have you been? Busy as well. Sometimes in a good way, sometimes in an irritating way. But it's better than being bored, I suppose. I mean, uh, yeah. Now, uh, where are are you uh, roaming around Manhattan now? Or are you in Brooklyn? Where are you where are you hanging as we speak? Right now, I'm in Brooklyn, and I'm at a podcast studio, um, waiting for my co-host to arrive. <laughs> I have a new podcast that I'm really excited about. Actually, it's called Mentity, which are the words "man" and "empathy" combined together, and it's basically a podcast where we discuss. Um, all things, stories, experiences, opinions related to men in an empathetic way. <laughs> in an empathetic way. Like those poor guys, they don't know what they do. That kind of empathy? <laughs> no. That's sympathy. No, not like... <laughs> yeah, that's. I guess that would be sympathy. My my co-host is a, is a man, and it's kind of the approach... Because I, we've talked about feminism before, you and I, and um, it's kind of taking the opposite approach that some feminism goes where everything is like the man's fault and we're blaming men and we're just kind of talking about it from a, hey, men are human too. And let's look at it from that angle. And um, I I, I was inspired to do it this way because my younger brother, who's in his 30s now, um, he had like this huge emotional breakdown last year in 2020 and it was just a few months ago that we had a really good heart to heart and he was just explaining to me his experience of having to hold in so much emotion and never letting it out and that's what caused him to kind of have this break and I never ever realized that was going on with him and you feel that other men also go through the similar a similar thing 
Yeah, when I talked to my friends about what I learned about my brother, they're like, "Yeah, that's what I go through." Like we never get it. Like I, we never get a chance to be emotional. We're not allowed to be emotional. From a young age, we're told to be a man and toughen up. Right. And right. Just kind of hold that in, and I was just like, "That's insane." Yeah. I yeah. never like put two and two together for that before. That's why we blow stuff up. And, you know, we have full wars and things like that. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's why I think partly. Um, yeah, you know, Bill Burr, the comedian, uh, one time he was going on a, he was doing a, a routine and he, he was basically saying, you know, be a man, stuff things down, stuff them down deep and pretend you have the answers. <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> that sounds like what's, what goes on from what I've been hearing. And And your co-host, is he... Um, your age and uh, all of that different age, different. I mean, obviously, he's uh, is he a heterosexual male, or do we not know? Does it not matter? I think that all those yeah, things, he's, go he, ahead. He's a heterosexual male in his 30s, he's also a comedian. Um, and he's more, I'd say, more vulnerable than a lot of men, and that he's able to talk about the these topics. Honestly, so it's been pretty interesting. Do you think race comes into play as well and culture uh, when it comes to how much emotion you're allowed as a man to share? I think so to a degree. So my my co-host and I were both obviously well. I'm obviously black, but he's also black. And you're obvi- how can we, we talk- tell over the radio that you're obviously black? <laughs> Because, I mean, I've talked about my race before. Yeah, yeah, here. yeah, that's right. First <laughs> time listeners. If you haven't heard those, I'm also, I'm I'm black, uh, black American. Deliberately don't identify as African American, but that's a different subject. Um, but he and I were both black American. And we're talking about these things from a male perspective in general, but in conversation, and I'm sure people who tune in, if they tune in, they'll realize that there is a, there is the man experience, and then there's also the, the cultural experience. And so our first episode that's coming out is called Man, You Better Cry. And mm. it's all about the importance of emotions and the importance of crying and how men, we should like normalize that being okay for men to do. And we both kind of workshopped it with our friends, and the consensus was that it was relatable across the board, different races of our friends. But there are little nuances in there that um, are cultural, and the references that we make are are going to be naturally cultural. So I hope that it's like an umbrella of relatability, but there will be some things that we can we can't help but make it about our culture, because I can only speak from my culture yeah yeah i hear you and you know it's interesting too when you talk about sexual orientation and like a a heterosexual female will she be attracted to a heterosexual male who's crying you know oftentimes males don't think that that is looked at as masculine enough you know like oh my god he's wearing a sweater He's petting a cat and he's crying. Yeah, I don't want, you know, I'll be his friend, but I'm not, I'm not, it's not going any further than that. It's so funny that you mentioned a cat because we talked about that on the first episode because my co-host, he has a cat and he was talking about how, how much 
crap he gets just for being a guy who owns a cat. And I'm like, you know what? You don't really know too many men who just have a cat. Even little things that are just normal life experiences like that get categorized into manhood, which when you think about it, it's just ridiculous. It is. Anybody can own a cat. Yeah, I mean, logically. It's not more manly to own a dog, you know, but we're, we're, we're like conditioned to feel this way, not even realizing we feel this way. Right, right. And I, I wonder if it is conditioning, though. And, I, you know, is it the same way across the board? Is it the same way in France, in Nairobi, in, you know, Guatemala, in uh, Beijing, that if a, a, a heterosexual woman sees a man wearing a sweater petting a cat crying, she's not going to want to be with him? Or is it cultural? Is it American? You've got to be a tough guy. I, I wonder. I wonder, too. I mean, I think there are different... Um... I think there are different levels to the conditioning, right? Um, I feel like even like I've I've been able to travel a lot of places, um, Europe, the islands, Africa, obviously America, South America. And one thing that I have noticed is that there are still like everywhere I've gone, there are these perpetuated gender roles, which I believe tie into the idea of what manhood is. And so I think it is like in a lot of areas, in a lot of ways, a global conditioning, but the level, I don't know. I I feel like America might be more intense with it. Um, I do know some African cultures is very, very, very intense as far as what a man is and the roles of that. Well, as a far, I missed that. Not so much. You said in in Africa, it's, it's very intense in what regard? In regards to gender roles and and manhood, um, very very clear structure in a lot of um, especially West African cultures and a lot of Caribbean too. But uh, so I think that it's a global conditioning, but the degrees I think will vary depending on where you're at. Like there is a, a big machoism in America that I don't know. It, that it exists everywhere else. Right. You were, you, I think you were, you were going to mention France. What did you notice there? What I noticed there is that the men there, and I've only been there a handful of times, so it's obviously this is just completely an opinion, but the men there seem to be more comfortable with um, what I like to call their feminine energy and being more softer and intimate. And that might have something to do because France, as, as the world knows, is conditioned to be more romantic. But even within that, they're still practicing gender roles, which is a part of like what it is to be a man and what it is to be a woman. Yeah, and, you know, and, and I'm going to reveal how narrow my view is of all of that when I ask questions and uh, right now in this conversation and share my input. You know, I I, um, I think. And again, we're and our, our conversation is limited because we're just talking about heterosexual relationships. I don't know if this stuff carries over to same-sex relationships and attraction and, and such uh, expectations. I really don't because I'm a heterosexual male and I know that firsthand to a certain extent. <laughs> More limited than maybe I, I uh, would like to to admit. Uh, but having said all that, I you know I think a woman. Of course, I assume you're going to correct me if I'm wrong. A heterosexual woman that looks at a man 
that is more like the French guy you mentioned would look at that person, yeah, I'll have a long-term special relationship with that person. But then they look at the person who, a man who is more like macho, and like I wouldn't mind having a roll in the hay with them for one night and then just totally not ever being with them again. <laughs> that's a very modern perspective. <laughs> Do you think that's accurate? I think it's accurate for some people, yeah. I'm, it, it really depends on... I think for a woman, I'll speak for myself, um, it depends on your maturity level and the age that you're in. I know when I was younger, it was like, oh, you got to have the hot guy, the the manly player, and then you get a little bit older, and you're just like, I just want somebody who has a good career. I don't care how they come. And then you get a bit older, and you're like, I just want someone with a good personality and a nice heart, and it, you, your values kind of change, but... I think initially we get these thoughts on what we think is what we want. Again, back to conditioning, subliminal conditioning from media and music, definitely music. I, yeah, oh, definitely music. Um, and I, I, I think it's a struggle between you know evolving as an individual through your 80-plus years and also evolving as, as a species. Um, you know, you still have that raw animal in you, but you also, you can't live like that every day. It's just, yeah. it, it gets old and I think it's probably unhealthy <laughs> on top of it, you know? I'd say so, yeah. Emotionally and, and otherwise. Um, but you also, I don't know, I, I'm still trying to figure it all out. It sounds like this podcast is going to be an interesting one, Menpathy. Yeah, I we've been getting a lot of feedback. I'm actually kind of nervous because so many men have, have reached out to us, ones that we know and ones that we don't know, telling us how excited they are. And I'm like, well, I hope we live up to it because we are going to be talking about serious things, but we're also comedians. So there's going to be a lot of humor and hopefully it's the right balance. So I don't know. It's a little nerve wracking. Something that was just a little bit of a passion project turning into something that people are really excited about is pretty cool. It's very cool. Good luck with it. I plan on uh, asking you more as time goes on and hearing more. And I guess they could just type in the name of the program to find it. Or are you at a certain? Yeah. 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 yeah so in all, it's going to be on all um, podcast streaming services: Apple, Spotify, Google, wherever you listen to your podcasts at. And, you know, last time we were talking, we had a very good conversation, I thought, about, um, you know, where you were as an artist, uh, you know, looking at singing, songwriting, looking at comedic writing and being a comedian and trying to figure, you know, if you should do both, could you do both, should you just pick one, and then, you know, also what other people think and telling you what they think and how much that means or actually does not mean to you in terms of deciding yeah. what you're going to do. Anything developed since our last conversation in those areas? I'm still on that journey. I will say that um, most recently in the last couple of, well, I've been doing shows here and there for stand-up um, since 2020. That never stopped, but it was just a lot less frequent. Because um, I was going through some things and healing through some, some trauma but in the last couple of months, I've been back on stage more regularly, practicing my jokes and just being a Santa comedian. But I've also still been doing my music, which is 
interesting because I'm finally in this place now where I once felt like I I felt like I was constantly in this space of like am I a singer or am I a comedian I'm both but now I re- I literally just literally live in I'm just an artist I'm going to create <laughs> what I want to create I want to create if I want to do comedy I'll do comedy I'm doing music I'm doing music and I'm actually gearing up to shoot my very first music video in, a, uh, in about a month, which I'm super nervous and excited about. And I just added podcasts there to my catalog of artistry. So I'm just living. I realize that I feel the best when I am creating. And I, and I just like to create. And I want to keep creating and doing as much as I can until I get to the age where I no longer have the energy to. So I can look back and be like, I lived a really cool life. I like that's it. That's where I'm at. That's yeah. a that's a great philosophy, and I mean, living in New York City and and doing all of this stuff. I mean, how do you make ends meet? It must be hard. Um, I've been doing pretty good with that. Um, Obviously, freelance writing. Yeah, I mean, I'm not rolling in dough, but I, I'm grateful that I I haven't really been struggling. I've I'm always I always have what I need. And if I may not, you know, have exactly what I want, I always have what I need. And that's all that really matters. I always have my rent. I always have my food. I always have a little bit of money for something extra. I mean, that I think is a huge accomplishment. Uh, New York City is not easy to have all that stuff and do what you like. Yeah, it's not. It's very it's ridiculously expensive, which is why I wish I could move to New Orleans. But... In due time. <laughs> really? New Orleans is somewhere you'd, you'd prefer to be? I want to move to New Orleans. I've been trying to get my mom to get on board so we can move down there. Wow, that's surprising. I love it. Me. I just love it there. I love it there so much. And not for the reasons that other people... Usually people hear New Orleans and they think... Music. Party, Mardi Gras, yeah. And that's not the New Orleans that I'm referring to when I say I love it. Although those are definitely perks. What is it then? I mean, last time we spoke, you were talking about uh, that a little bit, but more more so, your mother was was enjoying that, you know, the the nightlife uh, with you. But it seemed like yeah. uh, <laughs> Diane. But uh, you were you got really pointed for a bit talking about the uh, plantation that you were on. Uh, I'm trying to figure what is it history that you 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 feel you know is important down there, or or the weather, or the what what is it? I hear the weather is pretty awful, so it's not. Yeah, me too. As far as how hot it gets and, and, and muggy and humid, um, so I would never be able to wear my hair straight down there. But um, I like—it's hard to describe. But I just like the feeling of the city and the surrounding areas of it. I love how much history is there. I love it architecturally. It's, I think it's the only, it might be the only city in this country that has its original architecture, which is over 200 years old. So you're there and you kind of feel like you're not in America anymore. A lot of French buildings, a lot of Spanish buildings. It's really, it's just nice. It's like a nice, and you you get like a nice balance of um, city life and country suburban life. And it's just, I just I like the balance of that, and also that it's not freezing winters. 
<laughs> yeah, I hear that. Um, you, you know, it, it sounds to me like it's just a place you went to and you felt connected. You know. I, yeah, every time I go there, I'm just like, and I've been wanting to go there for years, and, and it was only in the last couple of years, and I've been able to go a few times, and I just love it. And the food, oh, my God. Yeah. The food. I don't know if I'll actually end up there, but it's just like one of those places. If someone's like, if you can move anywhere right now, where would it be? It'd be New Orleans right now. Well, how much do you know about your, your family history? Like where, where uh, in the United States, how far back can you go into where, where in the United States? Do you have any you know, roots in that area maybe? Possibly. I do know that my family extends from uh, Native Black Americans, Black Native Americans, however you want to say it, but predominantly in the Carolinas. Um, but it's not that far from Louisiana, so maybe, but I, I know my, um, I know my, on my mom's side, I'm speaking of, of course, we go back as far as we were able to trace the Carolinas, North and South Carolina. But your dad's side, you're not sure? No, not a hundred percent sure. Um, there and were things that I've been told in the past that I once believe but then i got some new information so we're we're trying to refigure that out of who the heck that side of the family was because i always was told one thing and now it's <laughs> recently changed so i don't know what to think with that anymore so i don't want to speak on it yet until i have facts right but, well, that's smart yeah but my my mother's side um we've been doing a lot of research on especially very recently even more digging since we found some more names and interesting stuff, good stuff. Yeah, I, I mean, I think the the most interesting is we were. I mean, we've always known that we were part of a native family, a native to this country. Like indigenous, um, you mean indigenous? Yes. Wow. Indigenous, native. Um, a lot of people don't like to say native because people have one idea of what native is, but exactly, it, it is native. Um, and I've always known that. But without the details, but we were able to confirm it more and more, like down to the tribes that we're coming from, and it's really cool. That's unbelievably cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's nice. I mean, now you're now you're going, you're, you're connecting yourself to the, the history of this nation deep, deeply, um, which gives you yeah, very in a different way, and in a, a narrative that's not being told, but interestingly enough more and more black Americans are finding out their roots are, I'm not saying that some aren't from Africa or the islands, wherever the transatlantic slave trade is said to have happened, but a lot of black people were already here and more and more people are starting to discover that. So it is exciting on a different level to, to learn a story that was just never told. Always. That's always exciting. So you, you you're saying it it's possible that your ancestors are not as connected to our slave history as a person who looks at you might think a lot of your ancestors were here even before contact by the, by Europeans or and, and all of their little projects <laughs> to put it lightly yeah yeah absolutely here before um i i'm not saying it Slavery wasn't part of it, absolutely. But the the difference is the story of um, 
my ancestors being brought over here on ships is the part that's not true for me and a lot of people that they're starting to discover. Um, for some people, yeah, but a lot of people were already here before well, slavery started. Why is that important to you to make that because differentiation? It's knowing, because it's knowing where you're from. And someone asked me recently, what, what is... Um, what what does it do for you to, to, to be able to say what you are and who you are? And I, I explained it, and I spent my entire life being told that I don't have a history, that we can't trace it because records were lost, and, and when you don't know who you are, you're kind of floating, and when you learn who you are, you start to understand who you are. It's like having a ground to put your feet on versus constantly free-falling. So that that's what it does. It's like, okay... Now I know where to go. Now you know where to look. Now you know how to dig. Now you know how to keep finding family. That's how we keep doing it. Because we, we were, if we were thinking, hey, uh, we're possibly kidnapped from Senegal or the Gold Coast or Ivory Coast and then shipped to the Caribbean or shipped straight here to Virginia and records are lost, you don't know where to go from there. But if you make connections like, no, actually, you know, you're from the, the original native land of the Carolinas and then you start finding your last name there, your grandmother's last name and her mother's last name, and you're meeting people and they're getting more information and you find this tree and you put it together and you're like, hey, we've been here for a little bit. So this is home. This is home. I love it. And I get it totally. You know, I, I totally get it. Nash Rose, it's wonderful talking with you, as always. Um here on Troubadours and Rock On Tours. She's been on for a while now, since probably since you're in your 20s, which is not that long ago, actually, right? It's not that long ago. It was ago. like yesterday. It's just like yesterday. <laughs> Brooklyn-based singer, songwriter, comedic writer, comedian, artist, generally speaking. And, um, you know, we, we have a moment or two left in uh, our, this go-round. Any, any insight or thoughts you'd like to share with the, with the listeners? I don't know. Not really. Maybe just remember that we're all human <laughs> at the end of the day, whether we're men, women, vaccinated or not vaccinated. <laughs> Everybody's a human and we all need to be treated with compassion and humanity first. I think that's it. That's all I would say. I like it. And when you say treat it with humanity, besides compassion, what does that mean? Really... I feel like it's just remembering that we're human and having that empathy. Empathy has been a really big part of my life um, this past year and learning what it is and how to use it. And you can have compassion, which can come from or before or after empathy, whatever. But when you remember that somebody is a human, like actually remember and remember that you're a human, it's easier to get past like the issues that you may have with that person. And I, the thing that's on my mind that I'm not saying right now is, is the segregation that's been happening with the vaccine and not vaccine. I think everybody should do what they need to do. And I don't, I, you know, I have no issues with anyone's belief, but when you forget that someone's a human being, it's easy to, to, to create this new 
what feels like a Jim Crow era. I don't know how it is in PA, but in New York City, it is a full-on segregation happening. And I'm seeing friends and, and families dividing and fighting and everybody's forgetting like this is my human <laughs> like i know this human we're both human that's gone that's what that's what's leaving in new york city just so, be, just, i don't know if it's like that where you're at but well kind of yeah just because of a because of the choice of whether to vaccinate or not you're saying that segregation yeah. is, is occurring it's in it's insane to me but like i get both sides but even even asking someone if they're vaccinated, like I think, is just crazy. <laughs> you think it's too personal yeah. of a question? I think it is. A, it is a personal question, and it's more personal because of what the person is asking for now. Because it's it's not even like they're asking because they genuinely care about your health. It's like they're asking because now they want to know how to typecast you or categorize you. Right how to treat you so we're not again it's like you're not treating people as a human you're finding something it's just it's weird with the history especially this country has in the world and and different atrocities but this country that we have with segregation and, and and injustices across the board not just black and white that here we are again but nobody can seem to realize it because now we're just talking about something medical and it's just it's just mind blowing I like it. That's a very interesting insight. I haven't ta- thought about it that way. Thank you, Nash. Give me something to uh, reflect on the rest of the day, at least. Um, again, a pleasure talking with you. I look forward to the next time. We'll probably be in, into the holidays or the winter or something. So uh, until then, good luck with everything. Good luck with Menpathy, your new podcast. And uh, yeah. tell, tell your mom and your brothers, I said, hey, if you get a chance. I will. Thank you. Take care. You too. Bye. Bye. I want to jump the fence and watch my face in the creek, but I'm black myself. I want to sweep that
And now three pieces under the title Invitation, written by Dan Leach and published in the October 2021 edition of The Sun magazine. With the more specific titles, My Wife Once, I Would Rather, and Childhood Could Have Been, here they are. My wife once requested we make love in front of an open window. Those were her words, and she reclined on the sill and studied her naked body in the light of the sun. Let's make love. I want my wife with a lunatic desire, but I hesitated before accepting her proposition. It was a Saturday afternoon, and many of our neighbors were working in their yards or relaxing on their porches. Two roofers were laying shingles on a house not far from ours. She repeated the invitation with added urgency. I replied, someone will see us. Then she touched herself and replied, maybe they need to. Discourse over. For the rest of the time we lived in that neighborhood, we debated the extent to which our activity had been witnessed. My wife believed we'd gotten away clean. I had doubts. Our neighbors never said a word, but whenever I talked to them, I detected a nearly imperceptible gleam in their eyes. The smallest piece of light. It said, I saw you. I would rather watch than be watched. Perhaps this is why I'm drawn to the paintings of Edward Hopper. No one is better than Hopper at turning you into a secret spy. No, not a spy, since a spy is too practiced in the art of surveillance. Rather, Hopper's paintings make you feel like you've gone out into the city for a walk, possibly after an argument with someone you love, and you've turned a corner and found yourself looking at strangers who, like you, suffer from an unexplainable loneliness. Nighthawks, Pennsylvania Coal Town, Automat. Whenever I return to these paintings, I can't help but impose a narrative on their subjects. And once this happens, I feel two things. First, I don't belong here. Second, I don't want to leave. And so I watch. Childhood could have been decent if not for all the people watching me. I didn't yet know terms like social anxiety or introverted personality. All I knew was that whenever I went somewhere, school or church or some scrubby little field built to host a barely enjoyable sport, all eyes seemed aimed, for reasons I couldn't fathom, at me. I hated those eyes. I preferred home. I preferred to be alone and, if possible, reading. When I expressed these preferences, I received an abundance of misguided advice. You're handsome, well-spoken, and likable, said my mother. I don't know why you're not more confident. My sister's read was even farther off the mark. Girls don't like snobs. Only my father delivered an opinion in line with reality. It came on the night of my first school dance. 
I was pacing the street in front of our house, waiting for my date to arrive and looking like a man recently sentenced to death. My father called out from the porch, Relax, no one's going to be looking at you. He gave me a moment to consider this, then said the most encouraging thing anyone has ever said to me. You're not that interesting.
sky moon. Saliva and tongue just begun to anticipate a kiss from you, my boo. So much passion, lust, I feel brand new, like the first times with high school sweethearts laying in the grass of a field, rolling around in the dew, under the autumn night sky moon, nary a clue. Episode 442 of Troubadours and Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. I'd like to thank those folks who made this episode possible. 
First and foremost, Nash Rose. Also, writer Dan Leach. The Sun Magazine. And these musical artists. Thelonious Monk. Martha Redbone. Lucinda Williams. Amethyst Kaya. James Maddock. Angela Munoz. Brantford Marsalis and Terence Blanchard, too. And of course, I'd like to thank you for listening. Until next time, let's do our best to enjoy this time. Take care.